0: ufo
1: thinker podcast okay so welcome back to the ufo thinker podcast my name's frank and let's get cracking so this is going to be some recent events talking about some pretty big things that have happened really over the last couple of weeks Uh, It's going to be Jay Stratton coming out of the shadows, the balloon debacle, and uh, a little bit of info on some other areas of interest that uh, I've been keeping my eye on and and will be keeping my eye on as well going forward, uh, which is a bit more outside of that government disclosure angle. Uh, And I'm joined once again by the incomparable Mr. Dave Smethurst. How are you doing today, mate?
0: I'm doing very well, Frank. I've got a bit of a cold, but that's not stopping me. We're getting cracky. So, uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm in good form. I've just bought a new boiler, mate, so that's upset me as well. So it was taxis the other week. Now it's the expense of the boiler, so there you go.
1: Ah, nightmare. Well, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of a cold as well. I think you're probably suffering a bit more than I am, but yeah. we're so, soldiering on in the uh, interests of pushing the topic forward Absolutely. and all that, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll start with the Chinese uh, balloon, or spy balloon or whatever it was the alleged spy balloon so just to set the scene a little bit a balloon was reported as having been spotted uh, initially reported as been spotted over montana uh, quite a few days ago now Um norad later said in a statement that its uh, commander uh, general uh, glenn van Herk. Assesses the balloon does not present a military or physical threat to people on the ground at this time. The balloon is currently travelling at altitude well above commercial air traffic. So there was a decision made to not shoot it down initially, uh, allegedly uh, due to this risk of of, of civilians on the ground potentially, uh, but also many have speculated that this may have been a decision to actually gather intelligence from the balloon for as long as possible before taking it out. I know that quite a few people have have suggested that this, you know, shows weakness from the US government and whatnot and, um, you know, a failure to act and that it's embarrassing, etc. But um, I do tend to think that they probably knew about the presence of the balloon quite a bit before it was actually announced. And that they probably strategically allowed it to carry on so they could monitor its movements and, and gather intelligence and and whatnot uh, i've spoken to a few people behind the scenes about this uh, people with actual direct experience in in that kind of field and military backgrounds and whatnot and, and that's generally i think their assessment of the situation Um for example uh, my friend Frank Milburn also tweeted uh, an article from the, the Drive which talks about the U-2 spy plane actually snooping on this balloon. And Frank was describing the capability of the U-2 to actually get above the balloon in terms of altitude was critical for the U-2 to be able to actually intercept directional satellite communications from the balloon itself. Um, but obviously an object appearing over the United States and being detected and tracked and and eventually it was shot down once it had kind of cleared uh, the coastline has some comparisons with the UAP topic and whatnot and it's ignited quite a lot of uh, debate on Twitter uh, since you know it was first in the news so um, have you got some any thoughts in general Dave on the balloon situation what do you reckon?
0: I have Frank really. I mean, the first thing really is the sort of double standards really for me and maybe it's a bit of an opportunity for us as well in the community, but there's a massive uproar and press attention on it and I think I believe I read today there was two congressional hearings planned on it. I mean, if you think about that and what's happened in the uh with UAPs, we'll come back to that. Also Marek noted that, uh, you know, we follow avidly. Uh, Merrick noted that the Chinese balloon program apparently started in 2018. Uh, that's as been monitored the UAP program actually act them to retroactively track them. So uh, obviously the earlier things that people are saying aren't balloons and clearly the misdirection and secrecy is threatened security. It's only the UAP stuff that's made them be tracked. But the main point is it's been an amazing reaction from the media, the military and government to just one known balloon in the U.S. airspace. I can't believe that. Now, compared to not, I can't believe it. Compared to the reaction to hundreds of unknowns in sensitive U.S. airspace, remember they were over military training areas and everything—really serious areas. And a percentage of these hundreds are, are under intelligent control, which you've said themselves and are performing unexplainable maneuvers. It's just, just crazy. I mean, it raises a number of issues. Why are UAPs not mentioned, given the reaction to one balloon? I mean, I know it's fairly obvious, but it's pretty—it's worth saying. Does that mean the US government knows that they're not known adversaries, so they're not bothered or that they know not to pay much attention? And I also wonder what's the editorial conversation going on in the newsrooms, given their reactions to these balloons? You know, I mean, I mean, what are they thinking when they hear about all this stuff? What's going on? So uh, I do think if, if and when the truth of UAP existence actually breaks into those newsrooms, or do they think they can say, I think all hell's going to sort of break loose, really. And I think uh, I think at that point, the community should really take advantage of this to campaign about the issue. Maybe we should now. I mean, I've got a couple of other thoughts, but I don't know what you think about that, Frank.
1: Yeah, it, like you say, it definitely kind of throws up quite a lot of questions. I mean, I've, I've got a few um, general notes about the balloon as well, which I'll, I'll go through and then uh, throw it back over to you, Dave. And so, first of all, it was the the size of of three buses, apparently, so pretty big balloon there, you know, I think it was in an American article, so we're talking American buses rather than like a double decker, which would be absolutely enormous if we were going off <laughs> london bus standards but yeah so but still any any kind of bus, three of them is is pretty large, so it was a huge thing, and it's suspected that it may have had rudders. And propellers and things, and therefore could actually be controlled in terms of its movements. So, obviously, many debunkers and whatnot. You know, jumped on that as a, an example of balloons or balloon-like entities, with the suggestion that this kind of thing has been responsible for many of of the reports of, of UAP by military personnel and whatnot. Obviously, there's the comparison with, um, you know, r- remaining stationary in in winds aloft and things that are often mentioned. And you know, if there's a balloon that can be controlled in that way, you know, the, uh, you know, I can sort of see where the comparison comes in. But I think there's some very important points of distinction to make. So, first of all, this, this balloon, uh, as we know it's, it clearly is a balloon, was was able to be detected, identified as a balloon, tracked, and shot down, You know, which is not the case for many of the most interesting UAP reports, which includes basically objects doing things that a balloon just could not physically do. A good example of that is... Um, a recent episode of uh, former fighter pilot Ryan Graves' Merged podcast, which featured uh, former military pilot Mark Hulsey. And Mark actually talked about one particular case where his jet was intercepting uh, an object caught on radar, which was flying nose-to-nose, uh, nose, as they say, towards his jet, so directly, you know, straight, straight towards the front of his, his jet as he's flying. As he approached, the object stopped dead in the air uh, reversed direction without a turning circle and then outran his jet and disappeared so this is an expe- an experienced pilot and you know you can listen to the episode in full for all the technical details that an ex- experienced pilot would be able to provide uh, but essentially what he's saying is there's no way a drone a balloon a blimp a plimp or any other aircraft uh, <laughs> of that nature could actually Uh, have done what he witnessed that object do Uh, and ryan actually pointed out that the gimbal object behaved in a very similar way doing a rotation at the exact point uh, that it reverses direction in a vertical u-turn now there's no way a balloon can do that or any lighter than aircraft as they say and um, our friend dj top bloke who's also a very knowledgeable and and high-ranked member of the u.s air force has explained to me in great detail you know over the last year or so that um there's no way that blimps and balloons and, and whatnot can can move in in that way and uh the balloon didn't really move in in any ways that that are uh consistent with what you'd expect um there was there was no uh maneuvering against uh, high winds or anything, as as noted in a lot of these UAP reports. And, um, you know, there was initially some reports of of other balloon incursions as well during the, the Trump era. Uh, former Director of National Intelligence John Radcliffe uh, refuted accounts uh, from Pentagon officials that Chinese balloons had entered U.S. airspace on at least three occasions, but then I think it ended up coming out that maybe they did, and it's it's been a bit up and down, really, from from that side of things. But there is clearly a bit of a an entanglement with politics here and what they can and can't reveal. Um, it's also must be quite risky, you know, for for China if if you put a, a recon balloon over an adversary you better put your best gear up there, you know, and if this is the extent of the balloon tech that the Chinese have, it's it's actually quite a, a remarkable uh, validation of, of UAP study as, as this balloon was just basically, a, you know, a big balloon. And uh, I think, as you say, Dave, the Chinese uh, spy balloon program started in 2018 with many of the really interesting cases occurring before that. And uh, Ryan Grave sightings, I think, were around two thousand and fourteen. The Tic Tac goes all the way back to two thousand and four. So, as I say, what all that underlines to me is the importance of of UAP study, and um, you know, getting rid of the reporting stigma, and and you know, it reminds me of the the entanglement with human adversary tech, and for me, all of that is a good reason to take studying UAPs more seriously. You know, like people are saying oh i see it's just balloons but the point is i think is that this is actually the studying into unidentified objects has, has allowed you know a better understanding of things like spy balloons from adversaries which is got to be a good thing in my opinion and um, chris chris mellon also said on on twitter uh quote reportedly the software filters on our sspar radars filter out almost anything that is not an ICBM or cruise missile. Hence, NORAD failed to report balloon overflights during the Trump administration, but could identify the tracks when they pulled stored data later. Today, drones, balloons and other UAV are growing threats and a review of the settings on these mighty systems is overdue." And I also tweeted earlier today that I've had it confirmed via Uh, FOI requests here in the UK that the UK Hydrographic Office also has some uh, software filters uh, to disregard anomalous tracks and that's for underwater sensor systems but the same goes for satellite sensor systems and whatnot and I think there's a really strong argument that we should be opening up these filters to include you know other parameters to allow better detection of of uap as well to to help gather data and i think that's what uh, chris mowen has been kind of campaigning for really um but yeah a lot to a lot to consider it really threw up some questions the whole balloon thing didn't it what do you reckon anything to add to all that i mean
0: that's a really good roundup you're giving there. i didn't know some of that stuff you're talking about but it just shows it's pretty clear uh that it, it, it is a balloon it's not something else and they tracked it and but what the only thing I was really going to add is just this will in some people in the community to deny UAP reality based on uh, flimsy evidence, you know. So, so it's amazing to me how one balloon has made people say, oh, it's all balloons, it's not UAP, you know. Are people's grasps, is the people's grasp of the evidence so poor that they just forget everything and just deny the UAP existence? Like you said, the flight characteristics, performance, history, transmedium stuff. I can't understand it, really, to be honest with you, Frank. And uh, I think it indicates, well, I can understand it. I think it indicates that they're looking for any straw, really, to cling on to, to allow them not to acknowledge the reality, but they don't want to acknowledge some people. And it also shows, I think, some of the UAP deniers' standards, not evidence, they're in the mud, really. It's, any little, it's a slight inference that a balloon might be explained and maybe one UAP sign, and suddenly they're denying everything. We had that thing from Streven Green Street where he had this 1940s picture of a sphere with some cube in it, which was a radar thing. So he said, we don't know was in service. We don't know if it flew. And people are saying, oh, God, well, that disproves the whole thing that Ryan Graves said. Regardless of the fact we never saw it, regardless of the fact it's a common geometrical thing, so a cube inside the sphere. You know, it's one of those things you see. And it didn't have anything like the characteristics. So I think we need to... What I, I thought about it, it, showed that we as a community, well, we ne- not as a community, but you know, when we're looking at it, we need to have a firm grasp of the evidence in our minds, what it is, have a, have a, and have it strongly anchored in our minds. So, but when we see things like this, we don't let these winds buffet our opinions around, and we you know, that's why, and we do that anyway. I'm sure I don't think, oh well, that's the end of it. Then and that's the balloon. You think, well, don't explain this, that, and the other. But I just think it's a bit of a lesson of how we need to remain sort of firmly anchored within the evidence that we've picked up and tell people that and not be blown around and also recognize people's desire not to want to acknowledge this because it's quite an uncomfortable reality. And so so that was it for me. I just thought it was amazing. I still how people are willing to say, oh, well, that's it then. It's just crazy. But anyway, yeah, so that was a big thing for me. And apart from the fact... It's quite clear, but all the things we're not seeing are not balloons because we'd have this reaction every time, wouldn't we? I mean, we haven't, we don't. So, yeah, it was very, very, uh, very, very instructive, this whole balloon thing about where we are and the double standards.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I mean, I think, you know, it, it would have been unrealistic to say that, you know, no UAP can be explained by drones and balloons because I think, you know, most reasonable people looking at this would expect that some of the the unknown objects that get reported probably would be some kind of drones some kind of balloons you know maybe even some kind of like balloon drone hybrid i know that's that sounds a bit ridiculous (laughs) but you know if, if you get some kind of like a you know a blimp drone type of thing it might allow you to sort of loiter in one place for longer without using your propulsion you know there's lots of things that adversaries i mean if i can come up with that idea i'm sure an adversary probably has at some point and they're using it for um you know for spying purposes and i think this this balloon incursion clearly shows that that is the case because this is a balloon blimp drone hybrid type thing that they've been using to actually you know change direction and all the rest of it it's apparently got you know propellers and, and rudders and all that kind of thing but like you say what's um what's kind of uh I don't want to say disappointing, but what's surprising, I suppose, really, is that some people have just seen a balloon floating over the States and they've just made some kind of like knee-jerk reactions that, oh, that's it, then all these coast sightings can be explained or whatever it might be. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human, so we, we perhaps all do jump to conclusions a bit sometimes. But we do have to, like you say, it underlines the the importance of actually getting to grips with the the, the specific technical aspects of what these objects are doing and when you actually really look into that i think it's pretty clear that it it can't be a balloon you know doing things like the 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 rates of acceleration and and whatnot it just wouldn't be possible with some kind of huge blimp and the you know the amount of propulsion that, that they would have to have it just all the all the pilots and people really in the know i've spoken to um just just don't think that that could be possible and again just to point out once again Ryan Graves podcast really is a fantastic um, resource for this kind of thing and um, if anyone's not familiar with Ryan Graves definitely worth just doing a bit of digging on on him anyway a very very credible individual who's um you know they were they were his squadron were actually coming across UAP on a daily basis uh, for over a year I think he said and these things were being picked up on radar some of his uh, other people within his squadron actually saw these things Uh, one of them was even about 50 feet away from from an aircraft and his podcast is very new it said they've only done a few episodes so far but he's literally getting pilots on who've never been heard from before and talking about these incidents in great technical detail and explaining the reasons why it couldn't have been this, couldn't have been that. And it really is something, um, you know, very intriguing. And he goes into so much technical detail with the, the pilots terminology as well. But but Ryan does a great job of actually breaking that down as well. So, you know, all the acronyms and things like that. Um, he goes through all of that. Um, and explains everyone as they come up. So it's quite easy to follow if you're not a pilot, Um, but also to hear it from that pilot's perspective in that much detail, I found it really fascinating. And when you listen to that, as I said, you know it really highlights why it's very unlikely to be something as simple as just a balloon like this. But um, yeah, go ahead, Dave. You want to add something?
0: No, I was just going to say I really agree with you. It's great to have Ryan Graves involved because he reaches out to those pilots. They have a lot of confidence in him. And he unlocks a lot of doors. He's very credible. But I think a lot of pilots are very nervous as we know coming coming forward, civilian and military. So he's doing such good work. All his podcasts are great. And he's got so I've really been impressed by that recently. It's very good. Just five, I could totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, it's always always good to see um you know these these new podcasts springing up when they've got really something something positive to contribute like that and obviously we'll get on to another podcast uh, in just a moment as well uh, to do with uh, you know ad- adding valuable contributions to the conversation but um anything final to add on the balloon thing before we move on dave no
0: i think we've covered that frank i think uh, it's just as i say it illustrates the double standards and uh, i think we should we'll be referring to that for some months if not years to come
1: yeah definitely and as i say for me it's just kind of like um it, you know it it highlights the the kind of added bonus of looking into uap that you might also have a knock-on effect of finding you know adversarial spying and things like that you know if there's anything going on above the skies of the united states or the uk or whatever other country you know you you want to know what it is and it you know is it possible that um stigma to do with UFOs has actually prevented the reporting of serious incursions yeah. of of spying vehicles and things from adversaries. It, I think that's entirely possible and, and probably quite likely. And if that's the case, that's the best argument you could think of to break down the stigma, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I
0: mean that's really significant. I mean, if you're a politician in charge of defence or whatever, that it becomes from just being oh well then ignoring it and it becomes really serious then if people are willingly Turning a blind eye to things because they don't believe them, or it's more convenient, or they've told lies about things—that's very, very serious. And as you say, Frank, that adds a lot of power to the point. And, and it struck me in that today, actually, uh, that that very issue. So it's yeah, it's
1: absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I think we'll, we'll crack on um, because, as I mentioned, another uh, really good podcast that's recently emerged uh, onto the scene. Is the the weaponized uh, podcast uh, with uh, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell, and it's on Spotify and YouTube and all the usual platforms, and it's arrived with quite a splash over the last few weeks. So, um, no pun intended there, to do with uh, objects like balloons splashing into the ocean. Uh, but actually, you know, it's quite a good pun. Maybe I should have <laughs> wrote that in my notes. But but anyway, <laughs> G- Jeremy is uh, you know. Safe to say he's quite a flamboyant character quite a lively chap and uh, some have, have, have questioned a bit of the hype around the way that he brings cases forward now and again some love it some hate it um, my personal opinion is that I like to see new voices come forward in new cases and things and personally I don't mind the hype as long as there's some actual substance that that comes out of it and, you know, here we are, a few episodes in. And have we got anything of substance? I think, personally, the answer to that is a resounding yes. I mean, to be honest, fair play to, to Corbell and Knapp, you know. If they were just hyping up a nothingburger, then I might have a different opinion. But we've had the Mosul Orb case, you know, very intriguing, even though perhaps the full picture's not fully merged yet on that. And then we were treated to uh, John Guts. Uh, Guterres, I believe you say his name. Sorry <laughs> if I massacred that. Um, and an active duty uh, Navy commander who hadn't been heard from before. And here we are at episode three where we have uh, Jay Stratton giving his first proper interview. Uh, really big result for the UAP topic, UFO topic, and you know anyone trying to understand the US Pentagon involvement in UFOs. And there were a few really key points uh, which I picked up on. And um, here's the way that the the show itself was advertised. And I'll just read this out as it kind of sums it up pretty nicely and then hand over to you after that, Dave, and see what your thoughts are. So it's, quote, Between 2007 and 2021, the US government authorized three distinct efforts to investigate and evaluate UFO slash UAP incidents, cases and effects. The acronyms were RSAP, ATIP, and the UAPTF. Only one person in the entire Defence Department had a key role in all three programmes. Jay Stratton was a career intelligence officer who worked for the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Defence Warning Office of the DIA and in other sensitive national security programmes. He specialised in the reverse engineering of technologies, threats and future scenarios. In 2007 he was recruited to the uh, to consult with the DIA-funded investigation known as ORSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program, a contract awarded to a private company affiliated with Bigelow Aerospace. The first case he investigated was the now-famous Tic Tac UFO incident. After ORSAP ended, Stratton worked closely with Lou Elizondo on a successor effort known as ATip, which focused exclusively on military encounters with UFOs. After Elizondo left government, Stratton was then asked to form a new programme that eventually was formalised by Congress as the UAP Task Force. During those years, he created a massive classified briefing presentation that was delivered to Pentagon officials, intelligence agencies, defence contractors and members of Congress. Stratton then left government in 2021 and is currently employed by Radiance Technologies. The interview with Weaponized is the first public statement he has ever made about his work as the government's top UFO hunter, unquote. So really pretty thorough summary. Whoever wrote that, I don't know if it was Jeremy or George, but um, yeah, spot on. I think they nailed it there with the background info, didn't they? So, Absolutely. What are your thoughts on the whole Jay Stratton coming well, out of the shadows then?
0: Just going back a little bit, it has irritated me slightly how people seem to like to... I mean, Jeremy and uh, George have done a really good podcast, coming up with really good info. They've done it the right way over all these years, not releasing stuff until they've verified it. Now, for all, he might be quite flamboyant. Jeremy Corbell is very good if you watch him on the media, and he does do his homework. So I think he gets a lot of stick uh, because people just don't like him, and I don't understand why, just because he's a bit flamboyant. And, but in terms of what he does, I'm a great believer in judging people by what they do, I don't think you can knock it much, really. And he, he, if, he would, if he'd if he'd promised or give too much info that he could not back up, he'd be really attacked. So people can't have it both ways. But I thought, again, and on this interview with Jay Stratton, some people were saying, oh, well, we knew that, or we didn't know, that, and what, so what. And I thought it was mega significant. I mean, the, just to go through a couple of things. Firstly, you've got Jay Stratton, very senior person. He's been through all these programs, as you read out there. Firstly, he confirmed that... Uh, There was a real there there, as it were, with UAPs, and the US government's been pursuing that. That was one. He confirmed Lou's story and timeline and narrative. That was another mega thing. He also said that the task force was going since 2019, effectively, and we're linking in the pilot testimonies, Eric Davies' testimony, so we've got that corroborated. And it also shows this has been building in Congress since 2019. Also, he said that he had, he'd obviously done this big report to go and convince everybody who's building up things. And and that was obviously what was shown to the Congress people in 2021, which really shocked him, you know, when there's reports still coming out really shocked. They'd seen video and like Star Wars or whatever. They said it was like some sci-fi thing. So, you know, that is really important because it helps us place that and tie it down and helps us sort of cross check the narrative. He said in so many words, uh, I inferred it and I think it was a fair inference, that Roswell actually happened and there'd been a 70-year 70 cover-up and he wanted transparency. And he also acknowledged there was a, trot, a, a pushback when he referred to the IG complaint uh, with Gary Reid, with Lou. I mean, so that was again mega. He also, they were talking in it, but there was strategy that he was removed from the 2021 report, just as it was due to be written to Try and nobble the report, and that was it. There's a big effort to get it done, but it shows you the, the forces of non disclosure alive and well. There, and he virtually said that. Uh, also, we got interesting confirmation but he chose to start in 2004 because we, I found I was one of these. I thought oh, they don't want to uh, go into it any earlier because it makes them they don't want to admit the extent of this. So, we, I certainly thought it was that was quite conspiratorial, but he chose that date because. He didn't think there was much evidence before that, and he wanted quite a narrow window. I also think he hinted, though, that it was politically less sensitive to start there, because if he would have started back at 1945 initially, that would have probably caused a massive uproar, because everybody who's implicated maybe wanted to shut him up. But So that's interesting. It shows often what we do think sometimes is off conspiracy isn't always that it's just rational thinking about this thing. And we also know the effort was very tech-focused. I mean we can see it was divorced from other efforts or so that was the implication. There's obviously were things going on he said that you know they weren't connected with but the effort itself was very tech focused what lou was doing they were obviously trying to understand because he had a background in reverse engineering so he was trying to understand what the tech did how they could defend against it and all the rest of it and interestingly now he works at radiance with eric davis and travis taylor and that the, the and that Radiance are a big contractor, defence contractor, linked to the contract for Novastar, which is a big aerial surveillance contract, £4 billion contract with the US Defence uh, Department. And so obviously, that's they're still looking at this stuff now. So it's very current and being taken very seriously. And one just interesting point to me he said he had the equivalence in rank of a two star admiral when he was going round. Now, he reported to Lou when he was at the task force, you know, mm-hmm. in the ATIP. So what does that make Lou? Because uh, Ross Coulthard said a couple of times, he hasn't said it recently, but when he was being interviewed about his book, he said a few people in Australia special forces sure, told him Lou was very, very senior. Uh, and he's not. so I took the influence on that. Lou also had that kind of clout, which we've had hinted at, but that was clear. So for me, Frank, it was really, really significant. He confirmed a lot of things. And if anybody wants to doubt Lou, I mean, I don't doubt Lou for a second, but are they going to start doubting Jay as well? And if they accept he's a rid the real deal and all this stuff about it's a big fraud and it's on a con Congress and all these other things, they really need to just put that to bed now and accept the, the reality. So I thought it was absolutely mega. but well, it was a great interview and I think there's more to come and I can understand why they've not released it yet because, you know, he might not be comfortable with some things coming out and there might be some things linked to hearings that will come out after that. So, I think it was absolutely tremendous journalism and a brilliant show. Really interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I think um, one one thing that I wanted to mention before I uh, forget as well is the, the, the sort of tie-in articles um, which have been coming out in conjunction with these episodes as well uh, from – uh, our man in the mainstream media chris sharp um he's been he's been putting out articles in the daily mail and some liberation times articles as well Um i sort of forgot to write that down in my notes for the episode but chris has been doing basically like companion articles to go along with each episode as they come out and um it really goes into a bit more detail as well and i think that's a uh, you know, I think that's quite a, a good thing to add to the information that's coming out because it provides it in written form. You know, you can sort of go through that for reference. It's quite good. And another thing as well that I wanted to mention, and this is just my own speculation, it's not something that I've heard uh, directly, but uh, somebody had posted on Twitter about the picture that Jeremy Corbell posted uh, quite some months ago um, having a arm wrestle with Lou Elizondo. And there hasn't been anything come out. From that, in terms of an interview or anything, so far. So the person who had saw a post on Twitter um had mentioned that that could hint that there may be an episode that they've already recorded, an interview that they've already recorded for weaponized. Now, again, this is just my own speculation. It's not something that I've heard directly from anybody, but I would say that might be the season finale because I know Jeremy's talked about how they've recorded this. They've kind of done it as a batch of episodes, um, the initial batch, and I wonder if the 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 big ending is going to be a Lou Elizondo interview, which um, if it is, it's going to that could be quite interesting, couldn't it?
0: I tell you what, Frank, that's a good shout. That you've been holding out on me, you haven't mentioned that before. That's really good. <laughs> that is a real I think you're right there. That because that makes sense, would not it? He filmed it, and if I'm also keep thinking about Lou's book. When's it going to come out? And one thing I do think is that with his new with the act being fast, it may well be the checking that he has to go through on his book is less stringent than it would be about keeping secrets and what secret that might be wrong but i think this book's going to be tied in some way to hearings or some revelation and and, and i wonder if you might have the louis alizando thing hearings and his book comes out or something like that but either way yeah that'd be great to have Lou come on and be very frank about what he's seen do you know what i mean so yeah that is a really that's really got me at it now frank that's really interesting (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm quite quite uh, looking forward to that and it seems as though they they've probably planned to have things come out in a certain order as well because I mean if you think about the um I forget the exact date, but it, it was sometime like at least six months ago when they recorded this one with Stratton. And they've been sat on that for quite some time because I think it was around, it was um, behind the scenes of some event that was going on. They talk about it in the episode, but I can't remember the specific date. And it was in the same room, actually, as where they recorded the interview with uh, Travis Taylor as well. So they, they, they probably recorded it at the same event. So it's quite some time ago and they've had that interview there in the can ready to release it at the a strategic point and um another thing is that uh, stratton's twitter account just kind of came online a couple of weeks ago as well so i would imagine they've had that planned and if if that is the case then it could well be that they have this luisondo one uh, you know ready in the uh, already load locked and loaded ready to go and uh, i would imagine that's probably going to be at least you know towards the end if not the sort of finale of the current run of episodes
0: just as you're talking there frank it struck me if you think about uh ttfa or to, what is it, to the stars academy that was very strategic the media campaign they had there and as we moved into the acts and all the rest of it and the influencing i do wonder if uh george knapp and jeremy become are more part of that the new media push now it looks like just as you're talking now i'm thinking yeah I could see how it's time coordinated. It's got the same fingerprints of that and that great planning. Uh, I think you're right. I think that could indicate this could be a, now a slow the build up because we're sort of in the calm before the storm, which we may be discussing in a minute. And uh, we're in the sort of calm before the storm where we're waiting for things to drop, and this may be the like the first little cranking we're starting to see. But I think that's a really good shout. That I really do.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to just go over my key takeaways from that episode as well, because I think it's it's really quite a big deal, uh, Jay Stratton, coming forward and the things he was talking about. A lot of this is the same points that you were making. Obviously, we've discussed this a bit offline. But um, just to kind of go through that a little bit then. So Jay Stratton was actually a key part in deciding to go for that 2004 onwards thing as you mentioned, Dave, and he actually did describe uh, the reason being that that was the most recent case which had had real solid data in terms of like modern cases. Um, I got a quote from the episode. He says, quote, that was important because that was the first case in recent history where I had pilot reporting and data, unquote. So, you know, he's clearly got the multiple trained observers there plus data as well. And as we know, Bray had mentioned at the hearing that they do have that data, which the public haven't got on that case as well. But that's just another verification of of that. And um that is interesting because I've had the question lingering in my mind as to whether or not that was a decision pushed by the kind of, you know, obfuscators um to avoid having to deal with Roswell or Malmstrom or any of the other really big cases in the past apparently like you said that that doesn't actually appear to be the case now or at least that's what Strassen said on the podcast um you know who knows how much sort of compromise there is going on behind the scenes maybe there's a little bit of a tug of war going on and and that was the date that they they ended up settling on and um you know and then in 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 you know further legislation down the line they ended up with that report going all the way back to 1945 but you know great to hear stratton's perspective and get that clarity on on who decided that 2004 and onwards date and why uh, because that's something that i had wondered about quite a lot so that was the first kind of key point another one is uh, another one you mentioned actually uh that, that stratton verifies and backs up pretty much every aspect of what Lou Zondo has said regarding this timeline of OSAP and ATIP. And that that timeline is basically what I just read out in terms of the episode description for the podcast. Um and and at this point, with more and more people who are actually involved in these programs, essentially vindicating Louell Zondo and his his version of events. I'm finding it pretty difficult to imagine how the anti-Lou sort of narratives uh, can hold any water. I mean, I think that the, whether you love the guy, hate the guy, whatever, the timeline is pretty clear. And I think everybody who is actually involved is is backing that up. Obviously, we know there were some slight discrepancies around how the story was initially reported in the New York Times. And, you know, other outlets then took those facts as reported and then ran with them. And also back then, you know, many of the key players weren't publicly known yet and things have, have become clearer as time's gone along with more people coming out of the shadows. But everybody that's actually come out that was involved, like Lekatsky, Kelleher and now Stratton, they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, basically. I think Lou's IG complaint that, that was leaked at some point a while back, that lays out the exact timeline in great detail and all of these insiders are now... Backing up that exact same version of events, so it'd have to be a pretty grand conspiracy, mm. you know, which has been submitted in a, an official document as part of his IG complaint, you know, with the legal repercussions of that and whatnot. It's a pretty grand conspiracy for all of those people to be saying the same thing. To absolutely. me, it's absolutely clear, and uh, Stratton's just the latest in a long line of people adding weight to to lose version of events. So that was, uh, I think, really important because Stratton's somebody that's was in a real key position to be able to clarify that, and he did. Uh, and the final key point that I noticed uh, was that Stratton described the reactions of those that he actually briefed with the classified data, and he confirmed that there were other compelling cases other than the ones publicly known as part of his his briefing uh, presentation. And he described briefing many congressional committee members and representatives of various parts of government departments and whatnot with this presentation. And I've often wondered, and and I mean, you have spoke about this quite a lot uh, over the last, you know, I guess, couple of years. It was what, what was the ratio of people who were shown these kind of briefings? Like, how compelling is it really, you know? Like we've heard stories about people coming out, as you mentioned there, before. Uh, people being a bit shell shocked to describing it as looking like science fiction and whatnot. Uh, and I've wondered, you know, what percentage were actually really open to it after seeing those briefings, and what percentage were not convinced by what they'd been shown. I think that's pretty important because it was like fifty-fifty, and you know, half the people were like, "Yeah, it's not that not that big of a deal, really," and the other half took it seriously then you could sort of argue that that data and footage is, would be potentially a bit ambiguous and so on. But the point that was clarified here by Stratton, who describes actually ju- just past the hour mark in the interview, if anybody wants to listen to it, because I think, I think it's quite a key point. So just past an hour, it's like an hour and a couple of minutes in, that he, he really went far and wide giving these briefings. And I, I, I got a little quote from it as well. Quote, some of them did not want to hear from me. They didn't want to get the briefing. But every time I finally got to brief them, they were supportive. Every congressman I briefed, except one, I won't say who, and it gets back to the belief word, everyone understood where I was coming from, unquote. So that really clears that up for me quite nicely. You know, ev- Almost every single person briefed was convinced that this was a serious issue. And, and I think Stratton suggests there, when you listen to the wider context of the conversation that the, the the one person that wasn't was due to beliefs which is i think when you hear it in context he's talking about religious beliefs and we've heard this before that you know some on the inside just don't want to touch the uap thing because uh, you know it's like demonic it's against the religious beliefs and things like that and i think that's what he's getting at there so it's it's absolutely fascinating to think of you know the kinds of things that were in those briefings that were so convincing that Everybody but one person who saw it was absolutely convinced that it was, you know, needed to be taken seriously.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there, Frank. I mean, i have just, just going to uh, add but the impression when they all come out of there, but we heard from various people who've been told that they were all convinced. It wasn't like 50-50. It seemed to be the all had, and I think that you're right that underlines that. And it also picks up on the point it must have been good enough to convince hard-nosed military, government, bureaucratic people, intelligence people. And again, it comes back to that thing we talked about earlier. Maybe they didn't want to know. They knew, but they didn't want to know. But it's convinced them as well. So it just goes to show the evidence must be pretty compelling that they've got. you know. And it makes you think when you've got Bray and all the rest of it and Moultrie up there and all this other stuff, the line we keep getting, how disingenuous that really is compared to what there is so yeah i thought that was mega significant that really significant
1: yeah like you say we've spoke about it a bit haven't we the inside track what's going on, on the inside compared to what's been shown in the reports and that kind of thing and this really does underline that doesn't it you know what i mean like and and as you say the the, the, the very key thing there is that some of these people as, as i mentioned in that quote didn't want the briefing they didn't even want to touch it. They were like, "No, I'm not interested," you know, blah blah blah. But then once they had actually seen the the data and what was in that briefing, they were like on board. So that that's really interesting point. I think that. So uh, yeah, anyone who's not heard the interview, definitely worth worth checking out. And um, it's I think it's episode three of the the weapon weaponized podcast. Uh, and as I said, that little bit that I just mentioned was just after the hour mark, but worth listening to the whole thing uh, as well, just to get all the context. And it's uh, really interesting in general. So anything else to add on on the uh, Stratton coming forward side of things, Dave? We no, move
0: on? I, f- I think we've covered it pretty well there, Frank. It was very good that that bit of yours at the end, that's really tied it up nicely. Now, and it's very
1: significant, yeah. And
0: again, great work from Corbell and Knapp. And I think we should just be very supportive of them. I really do.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I get it. I, I understand people's hesitance with, uh, you know, with, with, with somebody's approach and things like that. It's not going to be for everybody. But, and, and for me, you know, I, I was kind of, well, let's wait and see. Proof's going to be in the pudding. And the pudding has arrived. And it's a, it's a pretty delicious pudding, in my opinion. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right there, Frank, because I don't mean to say you can't disagree with him or whatever. Clearly, people can. And, and I get you are right and i don't want to be coming over oh you can't disagree with them because we don't want, want that but i just think we just need to just temper it a little bit so it's great to have a bit of discord, but this is quality stuff that's the main point
1: yeah definitely I'm, I'm looking forward to what they come out with next as well on, on uh, episodes yet to come so yeah just a few other little bits and pieces really then to uh to sort of wrap up with um a couple of other areas to keep an eye on and uh, just to finish off on the the U.S. kind of government disclosure aspect side of things, uh, there doesn't appear to be much progress on people actually reporting to Arrow. Um, at least so says Bob Salas. So obviously I'm sure most people know about Bob Salas. I've talked about him quite a lot on the podcast. I think we talked about him over the last couple of episodes, uh, that he's going to be scheduled to actually um, do some reporting uh, to to Arrow, the, the um the new office dealing with everything uap related um to cut a long story, st- st- story short he was a part of an incident in which a glowing ufo appeared over malmstrom air force base and shut down 10 nuclear missiles and um just to kind of link this back to the balloons thing since obviously that's what everyone was talking about on twitter bob had actually tweeted um uh, Quote, in case anyone is wondering, the objects seen by my security guards that hovered over my Montana missile site in 1967 were not balloons. That same evening, multiple objects were seen across the entire state of Montana. In one well-documented incident, a civilian and highway patrolman saw an object land in a ravine. This was reported in an official US Air Force document. It's part of the evidence I will present to Arrow still waiting for that invitation, unquote. So pretty interesting details there, just in general, about the types of things that he's going to be uh, actually briefing um, to to Arrow. But apparently, so he says there, still waiting for that invitation. And this was only a couple of days ago. So obviously, the initial thing that we talked about was that they were due to actually brief uh, the Arrow office during January. Apparently, that's not happened just yet. But... What, what you uh do
0: you want to add something there, mate? Yeah, no, only, but uh, it just shows that there's still uh, obviously behind the scenes. It may indicate uh, because we've sort of let him off a little bit, haven't we? Uh, the the uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who's in charge of the task force now, Kirk God, Patrick. Kirk, I can't believe I forgot that name. He's emblazoned on my forehead most of the time. <laughs> we've sort of let him off saying he, the next report is his test, and we're hoping that you know all these things are in place now and he's got to toe the line. But it would still indicate we haven't heard much. No, it means it maybe it's going on behind the scenes, and and we don't know what he's doing. Or it could mean there's still the there's a lot of resistance going on behind the scenes, and they're stopping it because they you know once these testimonies are taken, people have maybe got to take action, and it starts a whole process, and the rubber maybe starts to touch the road, should we say? And uh, maybe that's what's going on there, or maybe we just can't see. But it is interesting. You're right, and. You're right. I, I mean, it's only because we're in it. We, we don't... We sort of get used to it. But, yeah, what all this fuss over one balloon and you've got things going over nuclear weapons, turning them off. Uh, it's just... It's, the comparison is just crazy. What would they say? I mean, they'd probably all have an heart attack on live on air, wouldn't they, but given the way they reacted to the balloons? It was just... You know, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> it. uh, it's like, oh, I don't want them to have an heart attack live on air, I should just say. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just... You know, the reaction that is just mega isn't it and we just because we're in it we just sort of we're used to that fact but in the context of the balloon thing it, it just caused total meltdown if that was ever verified you know to people's satisfaction
1: yeah that's it but i mean yeah just um moving on to some other bits and pieces as well because you know i've been trying to kind of you know cast a bit of a wider net and and think about some other areas outside of the government disclosure angle um you know because obviously there's been a lot of discussion around that kind of thing recently sort of a good reason because there's quite a lot happening over the last year or two um but you know it's good to keep an eye on other things that are happening as well and there are other things you know trickling away in the background um one thing that i've been trying to do is go back to to rewatch some older videos you know there's there's some some of the old Louis Elizondo interviews and things like that, you know, again, just to kind of get a picture of what's been said back then and how does that information stack up now? And does that throw any, any doubt on the timeline and things like that? And obviously whenever I do that, my findings have been that there isn't really any doubt there, but you know, it's good to just go back and and re-listen to things and see if you can pick up on things you might've missed the first time around and that kind of thing. Sometimes, your progress can be a bit slow, you know, while we're waiting for the the next hour report, as you said, Dave, you know, proof is going to be in the pudding on that side of things to see what the report actually contains. And, you know, instead of just twiddling our thumbs, there's a lot of other areas that we can keep an, an eye on. And obviously we've got the Galileo project, you know, Avi Loeb with his, his pretty large team now and his uh, observatory platform uh, in an undisclosed location. And uh, the, the Galileo project's been going for, what, coming up to about a year and a half now or something. It's been a little while. Obviously, there's other organisations as well, like uh, UAPX, the the NASA study. Um, there's these various apps that are springing up left, right, and centre at the moment, relating to the UAP topic, which I'll I'll uh, come back to in a minute, Dave, because I know you've looked into that a little bit. There's also the the human initiated contact heist community, the CE five side of things, uh, you know, which is always interesting to keep an eye on as well. Some really interesting studies into. Uh, consciousness and and dmt and and these types of substances and how that links into consciousness and as, as we often discuss there could be some links there with the uap topic and the same thing with studies into ancient civilizations as well with new archaeological finds being found all the time again you know potentially some ancient technologies that we that we weren't aware of that that who knows may have tapped into certain aspects of physics that you know link some in some way to the uap topics a lot of sort of other areas there i must admit when i was doing a bit of digging there's not really a great deal of of new things with a lot of that like the galileo project they're just kind of trickling away there's not anything sort of huge on the horizon just yet um but all just good areas to just keep an eye on and, and obviously bear in mind that it's not just the the u.s government disclosure thing that's going on there are all these other things happening as well but let's go back to those apps Dave because I know you've looked into them a little bit this the Enigma app and a, f- a few other bits and pieces as well so do you want to just uh, give us your thoughts on all of that yeah
0: I mean just before we do that Frank I think we're in the doldrums a little bit at the moment people may remember the doldrums with the old sailing ship uh years there's an area just below the equator where if a sailing ship went into it there's hardly any wind so you could be stuck for weeks and we're sort of waiting for the wind or any wind to come and sort of blow into our sails again. Another terrible analogy, as bad as the project <laughs> But, you know, people and some some of the winds are good and some aren't, aren't very good, really. And I think you're right, there's not much happening, really, because we're waiting for the next sort of thing. But now the apps I've looked into, well, there's not loads to look into because it's all pretty emergent. But you've got the Enigma group, Enigma Labs, I'm coming into there doing an app. Apparently, you can record... Yeah, uh, uap sightings on it it's got a database but it's linked to apparently the military some military databases mufon's database couple of other ones and the idea is people can record it and then you know and 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 record the picture and they'll be analyzed it might even have one of those predictive ai functions that actually uh, says whether it's a real thing or not now if you're going to run one of those because lou talks about doing that about a year ago eight months ago a year ago if you're going to run one of those, you've got to have a lot of data to do it. So uh, they must apparently they are tapping into a few things there. Uh, there's Mufon are launching their own app, which seems a bit weird, which is, again, something where you can take a picture of something, but also you can sort of access their database. You can't access pictures because that's only for members, but you can access their database. And that seems to be a bit more of a half-hearted, not half-hearted, but a little less ambitious sort of thing, that they thought they should do. There's some other ones that are on the thing. There's what talk of one. I think I've seen it too, called Nanu, but I'm not quite sure about that. But it's got maybe more of a paranormal focus. But that was something else you could track them and one that uh, that guy Welsh Welsh Jonathan. I can't remember uh, that what that was called. It's that with a P
1: Phenom. I think That's so, right.
0: And I'm not too sure about what that does, but it had a similar type of thing. So there's obviously uh, people looking at recording things and getting an interest. Now, some people have viewed them as very suspiciously, thinking, oh, we're not giving our data over and all the rest of it, and they don't give the data, it'll end up in the hands of the government. But I would suggest if you do want people to look into it, I don't think it's, you know, terrible of itself to pass data on to the government, as long as there's suitable controls and all the rest of it on the people's information. Because you do need somebody to look at it. But there seems to be a mixed picture about uh, whether that's a good idea, who should control this and all the rest of it but i also think people are unclear as to what the apps are going to do now just to get a not conspiratorial but enigma are a very interesting people are asking about what they are They're a big group i think they've got links to some of the big media groups as well a fella called Paul, i think it's paul teal he was been quite instrumental in a few governmental campaigns and media stuff and so there's quite a bit around the enigma organization they're obviously taking an interest. In the UAP topic, doing a lot of research. We've got links to a few UFO researchers. So they've obviously got a role, and that's unclear. And th- there seems to be some hints that there's a link to Arrow, helping them maybe get data. There's also talk about uh, the Novastar Defence Project, which is a big thing. I've mentioned it earlier £4 billion, I think it is. And the relationship between Arrow and uh, them doing sort of reverse engineering, doing uh, surveillance. So what the interesting thing about that is, particularly with this Nova Star contract, private contracts and arrow is what's going to happen to the data Arrow are picking up. Enigma is sort of seems to be in the mix. It's hard to see why. We've got these apps that are coming online and are they picking up information. So it's all quite a confused situation and the problem with confusion in our community is it often leads to sort of conspiracy theories, speculation that isn't sort of carried out by the data. But there's obviously something around what arrows collecting what some organizations are interested in and, and where that sort of meets and we might see as things develop some sort of more public partnership if the, if the government wants to be more open about the stuff about data collection and engaging with the public so we might be seeing something emerging like that or we might equally be seeing some link with a private sector about collecting data and all the rest of it and clearly it's unclear as to how where where security comes in and what tack the governments take, so that's 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 really quite quite interesting. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, Frank. What your take's been on watching that? I was going to talk about Galileo, but I'll just hear what you think about that first.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it's kind of as you say, it's all sort of emerging, isn't it? Really, it all remains to be seen. And and as usual, there's a lot of you know different rumors flying around on on Twitter and you know various different people saying it's a really bad thing, it's a really good thing. I I think it's just a case of having a look at each individual app and seeing if it's something that you're comfortable with, isn't it? I mean, I suppose apps in general... there's there's always a bit of a privacy concern in terms of what data that they can harvest, who they're going to share that with. It's probably something that is the case for for all apps, really, as well as just UFO apps, you know. And uh, like you say, there's a bit of a balance there, isn't there? Like, we do want to create databases. And, you know, you could say if, if apps are sharing data with Arrow, that might not actually be a bad thing because we want arrow to have all the tools at the fingertips to get to the bottom of the mystery, don't we? So, and and whatever other apps as well, but I think it's probably just a case of, um, looking into each app and who's involved with that and and where your data is going and and making sure that you're comfortable with that before you sign up to anything. And other than that, not really got a a great deal to add. I think we're just going to have to see how all of these various apps progress and uh, it sounds interesting and, see what happens as it goes
0: along yeah i mean i think if you're right it's the credibility of who's collecting the data so for instance if somebody said to me right well you can give your data to the old a tip as it were or sap i'd be quite happy with that whereas if it was some mustache twirling gary reed type or whatever <laughs> i knew they were going to do something with it, i wouldn't so i think credibility whoever's picking it is quite important for this in people's minds and that'll probably sort of change the way it goes so yeah i think we'll just have to see what emerges really this Enigma group are interesting, uh, but I think if, if people are putting money into the subject, that's great, uh, and hopefully it's just being transparent so we can see what's happening really as well, uh, and I think if you're not transparent, people imagine things uh, that aren't going on, or, or twist things that are, so I think they, it's probably well advised if for them to be as transparent as they can, or as they allowed to be. Just going on to the Galileo, just if you don't mind, just for a sec, Frank. uh, Go for it, yeah. If you remember, when I did that uh, Ghost of Christmas present thing, it made me think a lot about what the sector was, and I I realized there was like a distinct second wheel forming with Galileo, the SCU, Ryan Graves' outfit, and and even the NASA thing, you could argue, sort of maybe fits in that in a sort of quasi-state sort of way. And I think there's like a distinct second wheel forming, around the private collection or parallel collection of sort of data people looking into its scientific study and that's quite interesting as well so Galileo's not done too much recently but th- there's also some talk about whether they're going to link up with arrow in some way i know they probably won't do that officially but some talk about the big cooperation with sean kirkpatrick and maybe some talk about whether arrow will have some links to some studies that are being doing what's the link to scu so I think we might start to see again as things progress, this second wheel starting to take a little bit of shape as well, and Galileo maybe again in these doldrums, they're not quite sure which way they're going to go, or it might be that we're just waiting for the, as avi is, he likes to do the science properly, there may be a number of projects going on and he don't want to disturb them while they're going on, we'll hear about them in two or three months time, but for me with Galileo, while I've still got loads of time for it, I do think it's become a little blurred in the last say four months about what his relationship is to different arms of the effort. And I think that Ukraine thing didn't do them any favor because I think I'll be my view is he sort of dived in and dismissed it in a swashbuckling style that he has. And people saw he was doing that on the behest of Sean Kirkpatrick, which he maybe he probably wasn't, he probably would have his own view. But that sort of made that link a bit blurry. So I uh, I'm not so convinced about that myself, but I do think that uh it has become a bit mixed up and it would be good four months down the line to see where they're going, but they are going to be important. And my point was, and what I realised when I was doing that work, as I say for that post-to-Christmas present thing, I think it's going to be pretty important. They will play quite an important role in terms of the uh, way they inform the public debate. And they can maybe do things that the state isn't able to do or go a bit further or expose things But maybe for defence considerations Arrow wouldn't. So it's quite an interesting there really
1: yeah definitely And as i said i just wanted to add those little bits in on some of these other areas and hopefully on the you know on the on the podcast over the next couple of months i'll try and dig into some of those a bit more be quite interested to see what the ce5 community is up to Um i've done a bit of a cursory look around not been able to find any sort of huge you know uh, breakthroughs or anything like that uh, just recently but something i'm going to try and I'll give uh, James Iandoli a shout and see what's going on uh, on that side of things as well. And, uh, yeah, just other areas to keep an eye on. It's always good to dip into, especially when progress is a bit slow and we're waiting for the Arrow Report and that kind of thing. Obviously, we've had been treated to some pretty good podcasts and the Stratton thing and the 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 Merge podcast and whatnot, so those are really good as well. Um, just, yeah, all case okay, so of just seeing how things unfold throughout the course of the year, really. So I think we've pretty much... Uh, covered it all there dave anything else you want to add mate just
0: briefly i think the other big effects of the doldrums for me to again i'm carrying on with it is that there's been a bit of an effect on the sort of some walks on the wild side so for instance john ramirez he said some pretty strange stuff recently around 227 and all that but i think he's getting a bit of a bad rap because he's always been very clear about what's his CIA work when he's talking about that and what is his own personal beliefs. But when he was talking about this something coming thing, even though it was a bit weird and people thought it was a bit odd, he was linking it to his intelligence work. So I, I just think that it's worth us thinking about that and uh, you know, just keeping an eye on it because if there is anything to it, it may be a catalyst for something we don't know about, for some of this other information coming out. And Lou himself did allude to something coming up. and I don't want to make too much of it because we don't know what, John could obviously only say certain things, but I do think he's getting a little bit of a bad rap there. But I think more than that, we've got the rise of the experiences coming up, which is great. They've come more to the fore. Obviously, there's an issue in the community. We don't want to go too much into it because it's so weird, a lot of it. It might put people off on the main issue of accepting the nuts and bolts type of disclosure. So there's always that tension in the community. But I think, as I say, the effect of this becoming of the community really is that consciousness, reality, entities... They've all been being discussed a lot and we're sort of going into some quite strange areas or areas where around what is consciousness, what's the nature of reality and quite detailed stuff where people are making, in my view, quite a lot of leaps and then constructing factual platforms which are just essentially leaks and going down a lot of quite strange avenues, which is fine to a certain extent. But for the UAP community, I think it's a question of an old phrase I've used you from, does it get us to Carthage? And what that means, it refers to when the Romans were fighting the uh, Carthaginians. Uh, basically, uh, they had a big, long, drawn-out war, and there's loads of different things they could have done in their empire, but they were focused on beating the Carthaginians. You know, And the question they ask themselves, does it help us beat the Carthaginians? And I think it's the same thing for a lot of these tracks we go down on all these different areas. They're very interesting but how relevant are they to what with the task at hand? So for me, it's great. Uh, I think it's great, the discussion, but I think we need to remain focused on, does it help us explain the phenomenon rather than going into what could be a metaphorical or metaphysical, I should say, trip of a lifetime that you'd never get any answers to. So for instance, it could be, but uh, a lot of the things that we're seeing are very tech-based. We don't understand the tech. The tech of the others maybe is something around the nature of reality we don't understand. But what we're seeing is quite tech and rational cause and effect things, but we may be ascribing other more mystical meaning to them. So for me, one effect of this period of quietness and calm is that there seems to be a sort of expanding of a lot of different ideas, which is useful, but could potentially lead us astray if we don't stay focused on the key issue, which is in getting us to Carthage in this case, which is understanding uh,
1: what the nature of the UAP phenomenon is and how it works. Exactly, mate. I think that pretty pretty nicely sums it up. Onwards to Carthage, <laughs> eh? 2003. It'd be funny if that's what Lou's book's called, isn't it? The <laughs> yeah. journey to Carthage. Yeah, like yeah by
0: <laughs> Hannibal Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But,
1: But, yeah, I think that's a a perfect note to end on. So, um, yeah, very good. Um, Some good uh, discussion there. I've enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for uh, joining once again, Dave.
0: Oh, that's great. I really enjoyed it, Frank. It was useful to go through all that stuff now. It would be interesting to hear what people think about it and what their takes are and what else they would have added, you know, if they contact and see. Tell us.
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean and again if anybody's listened around to to the bitter end of the podcast here <laughs> then you're obviously a hardcore listener of the show and thank you very much and uh do feel free to drop us um a tweet or an email or a message on whatever platform you so choose and let us know your thoughts it's always great obviously for for me and dave and whoever else is on the show to hear you know other people's viewpoints as well all opinions uh, and viewpoints are welcomed even if you don't agree that's absolutely fine Uh, the good thing about having these kind of discussions is that it just gets thoughts going and gets thoughts moving and you know it's it's great to kind of uh have a have a bit of a back and forth with, with listeners as well and uh, all all in good nature of course and all in the in the uh, interests of getting us to carthage so uh yeah uh, do feel free to drop us a message and um be, it'd be great to hear from people so yeah we'll leave it there for now then cheers Frank. catch you next time
0: see you later mate. you are looking Podcast.